0: Ah, in the strange, strange world of politics, as they say, politics has strange bedfellows. And there's Howard Stern. Hey, Howie, I know you, a long time, right? You love the Guardian Angels. I've been on your shows. But how many times is this that you're going to want to run for office and then not pull the trigger? Let me see. Now you told Robin Quivers on your show that because of the repeal of Roe v. Wade, you feel you might have to run for president. Hey, go for it. Go for it. Problem is, I don't think that women necessarily see you as the best representative of the person who is going to undo what the United States Supreme Court did in repealing Roe v. Wade. You know, you've been declared to be a misogynist, a sexist, your language towards women <laughs> would uh, definitely get you a little um, roquiche because you're Jewish. You know, the Jewish uh, coach your laundry soap, they wash your mouth out or could be and after soap. So, number one, that should not be a rationale. Number two, you were a Trumper and then you were a Trumper, but then not a Trumper, then a Trumper, then not a Trumper, and now you hate Trump. Because I guess that's the way the audience has gone. So I don't know about that. And number three, you already tried to run for office. I remember 1994. You were going to be the libertarian candidate that was going to knock out Mario Facciabrutta Como. And you are going to run against my candidate, George Pataki. Nobody knew George Pataki. He was like, who's that? The former mayor. Big skill. The state senator. A guy who wanted to be governor. Nobody knew. More people knew Zippy the Chip, so you figured, and rightfully so, that you could come up around the right and actually snatch victory out of the jaws of defeat. And you came out, and you were fired up. You said you were pro-death penalty. That's good. You said you wanted night crews at night working on the roads instead of during the day. That was very good. Then all of a sudden, there came this problem of you had to file your financial records your IRS filings, your personal net worth, and you said, fenable you're not going to run because, well, you're much richer and wealthier now, Howard. And then you got to overcome a problem that Trump, your friend at the time, had to overcome. He was a germaphobe. You're a germaphobe. Trump wouldn't shake hands. You wouldn't shake hands. You're not going to sign autographs now. But you got to do that when you run for president. Trump had to break through that barrier. I don't know how he do it, did it as a germaphobe, but you're going to have to do it. Hey, look, it's public enemy, right? Chuck D, that's right, in Flavor Flav, grew, out there, grew up near you. They were in Freeport. You were over there in Roosevelt. They say, don't believe the hype. <laughs> I love you, Howard. You love me. You love the guardian angels, but <laughs> nobody's going to believe this hype. Oh, Kelly, 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 you broke a heart. Oh, man, you were Mr. R&B. Until it turns out you were the pedophile on a pedestal. Oh, my God. Anyway, you were found guilty of all charges. You had underage women at your mansions. You were having sex with them. You were paying people off to go hush, hush, mush, mush. You're guilty. You're going away triple life without parole. No doubt about it, although I must tell you this. You had that urban opera, it was so good. R. Kelly was so good. What talent you had. On loan from God, and what'd you do with it? Okay, so anyway, let's speed it up. Where's R. Kelly now? He's awaiting the final sentence at the Brooklyn Federal House of Detention in Sunset Park. Now, guess who his cellmate is? A guy we haven't heard about in quite some time. You would say, how could we not hear about Frank James, who came in from Philadelphia, with that loaded 9 millimeter shot 32 times in that crowded train that he had released the smoke bombs in. 8.30 in the morning near 36th Street, Sunset Park. People scattered for their lives. Ten people shot, and he walked around the rest of the day and night with the village people costume on. He had the white construction hat, the orange vest. And basically, oh, we can't find him, the NYPD. He says, I'm here. Come pick me up. We can't find him. That same Frank, Frank James. Now, notice, we haven't heard anything about that guy, right? Racist. Look at his YouTube. I watched four hours of Frank James's YouTubes, and that's four years of my life. I'm never going to get back. Oh, my God. He hated everybody. So he's now a cellmate of R. Kelly, believe it or not. He's his Maytag. And They're singing show tunes under the carousel for the other inmates. As now Frank James has to wait for his sentence where he's going to be sent. But in addition to all this misogastious craziness, this super fan of R. Kelly, because there are uh, super fans out there. Let me take you back to that great movie, The King of Comedy. Oh, this is one of the best. Martin Scorsese, De Niro. De Niro is a wannabe comedian. He's chasing Jerry Lewis. And then all of a sudden, he comes up to Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis ignores him. He goes, Oh, Jerry, Jerry, you don't know me. Hey, you know the Chiefs? You don't know me. I'm a person of no consequence. So he kidnaps him as a super fan. And then he interviews some Johnny Carson style. And you can imagine here's Jerry Lewis going, Oh, my God, this guy, this guy's a nut job. I'm a schoolboy's going to kill me. That's a super fan. So you get a bunch of super fans in Chi Town, Chicago, where R. Kelly is from. And they didn't like the fact that R. Kelly may get triple life without parole. So they did a YouTube in which they said, guess what? We're going to come to the Eastern District in Cadman Plaza where the U.S. attorney's office is, and we're going to get the assistant U.S. attorneys. Well, now they've been arrested. They're going to be brought to the Eastern District and arraigned And guess what? They'll probably be in the same cell as R. Kelly, as Frank James— Underneath the carousel, singing show, show tunes to the other inmates. This story is crazy. Oh, Mel Brooks, the Alta Kaka, 96. Amazing. An Alta hey, La Haye, La Haye, Oh, what a double match. Anyway, Mel Brooks, interesting story. He didn't start out with a blast. Grew up in Williamsburg, Jewish family. Mother was from Kiev. Father was from Gdansk. That's right, Kiev, Ukraine. You know where the war is going on. That's right. But he grows up small. He's a shorty short. He's sickly. He goes to Eastern District High School. He's getting smacked around by all the kids. And then all of a sudden, one day, his uncle takes him to a Broadway show. Oh, and Mel Brooks discovers himself. He says, that's what I want to do. But U.S. Army comes a-calling. He serves in World War II. He gets out, honorable discharge, and he says, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He's an aspiring comic. He wants to go to the Catskills of Walsh and he goes up there, Route 17, to the Jewish Himalayas, not the Irish Alps, the Jewish Himalayas. He starts bussing tables, doing Simon Says in the morning, and he gets a break to replace a comedian who was sick at Grossinger's. That's one of the big places, like the Concord, Browns, no longer open there in the Catskills, but at that time, prime time. And he starts to meet a lot of comedians. And all of a sudden, Sid Caesar, who was to go on to have the number one TV show, says, Kid Mel Brooks, I want you to be one of my writers. Now, you know who one of his other writers were? Carl Reiner. One of his other writers, the perv, Woody Allen. And the other writers, O'Neal, the guy who did the play Lost in Yonkers, these were his writers, since Caesar. So naturally, he gets a boost up. And then all of a sudden, he becomes the writer for Get Smart, the TV program that we grew up with, Maxwell Smart, remember? He would take his heel, and he would talk in it like he was CIA criminals in action versus the KGB. So now he was on a roll. So you go from TV, Mel Brooks, suddenly you're into the movies. And he did. He was the director of the producers. Classic movie, five stars, top shelf. Although there's a dance in there, "Springtime for Hitler," that really raises the roof. He said, "Ah, how could you do anything, any comedic thing about Adolf Hitler, the Holocaust?" But Mel Brooks, his Jewishness is his protection. He says, "Hey, I'm I'm able to do it. Not a gentile." And he goes on to do Blazing Saddles. I'll never forget that classic comedy movie. Alex Karras, the former defensive tackle for the Detroit Lions, had to sit out a year because he was a degenerate gambler, became a very successful actor. Boom! He knocks out a horse in Blazing Saddles. Eh, Animal rights activists were very upset. But, man, that movie blew up. So here it is. The Out to Conquer, Mel Brooks, your 96. Oh. You've lived a good life. If it ends tomorrow, nobody can disparage you and say you didn't put everything into it. Hey, happy 96th birthday, Mel Brooks. Ah, let me take you to Queens, to the bucolic forest hills, not known as Crime Central. But it was a guy living nearby, not far from the Jamaica estate, so the guy had some coin. He was uh nouveau riche. But he was a clutterer, and he was obsessive. He collected duck sauce. Guy loved Chinese food, but he collected duck sauce. So he goes to this one particular Chinese fast food restaurant for takeout all the time. The Wall on 69th Road in Forest Hills, quiet area. And every time he goes in, He fights with the owner, the staff, the delivery guy. I want more duck sauce, more duck sauce. One time he comes in, he's got a gun, 9mm. He's aiming it at him. They're fighting him. It's like Kung Fu Charlie. Wah, wah, wah. They take him down. The cops come, and they do nothing. Typical in de Blasio and Eric Adams land, where the criminals rule, and the victims, fugats and bumpkits to you. So the warning was out. Now this guy decides he's going to stalk the Chinese delivery guy, who is delivering on his moped. And then he finds him after going around the block, takes the 9 millimeter out and shoots him, gets arrested. You figure that's it, remanded to jail, never bail. Well, they give him $500,000 bail, and guess what? His brother's got the all the ducats, puts it up. He's at home now with an ankle bracelet, and they from Fortune Fortunoff's. This is crazy, but it gets better. The cops go into the house, they open up the refrigerator, in the freezer, in the bins, everywhere in the refrigerator. Duckman has duck sauce. He's a clutterer. Some people, it's like the Collier's brother. They collect newspapers. Other people collect junk. This guy collects duck sauce. Okay, so now they go to his former wife's house, who lived nearby. They find eight of his guns in her house. Fully loaded, 38, 44 Magnum, nine millimeters with extra clips. They arrest her. She's a woman of wealth, too. She gets lawyered up, liars for hire, and she pleads in court and says, I had no idea he had left his guns in the house. This must have happened before the divorce. They were all over the house like a squirrel that hides nuts. So she's going to be bailed out. So these two kukulamungas, two white suspects with protection, because their Caucasian complexion and their money is their protection, are out in the streets with anyone else. Well, I don't know about that anymore in New York City. But the point is, the guy who kills the Chinese delivery guy over duck sauce is out. The wife who had the guns and claimed, hey, I knew nothing, I see nothing, I hear nothing, I speak nothing, like Sergeant Schultz is out, you want to bet that they're going to find a nuance in the law? Bet you he's going to say, this is part of the ongoing dispute between the Red Chinese and the United States, and I'm just caught in between. And she'll say, I had no idea the guns were there. He must have left them there before we got divorced. There's a chance both of these criminals, these killers, will walk.